The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, welcome to the Big Review Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flump. Chris, how are you doing today? I am doing awesome. And like when I'm usually doing awesome, we have a good reason. Yeah, we do. We are joined by a guest, uh, one of our favorite guests, our most recurring guest, Mark Schofield of Inside the Pylon. He contributes to Big Blue View, Locked on Patriots, Pat's Pulpit, and basically anywhere you read football on the internet, you have probably seen Mark's work. Mark is joining us today, and usually when he joins us, it means we're talking quarterbacks, but we are not going to do that. We're going to talk about some defense, mostly a piece Mark wrote about kind of how some college defensive schemes, especially in the Big 12, can be translating to the NFL. We're going to see how that uh, can work with the Patriots and how that's going to possibly mean for the Giants. So, Mark, thank you for joining us today. It's a blast to be with you guys, although I do have to say, if I'm your most recurrent guest, you guys need better guests, okay? Let's just be <laughs> honest here. I mean, you can't be better to be back and say, you know, this is our most frequent guest because there are better people out there. But I'm always happy to be with you guys. I'm excited to talk about this piece. It was a fun piece to put together. And it is always a blast to be with both you fine gentlemen. All right, thank you. Yeah, no, it's good, especially from an editing process when you were on with us. Uh, there is very little to do from my side, so very much appreciate it. <laughs> I try to keep this as professional an account as I can, although... It is tougher in June to really stay focused. I mean, we were joking a little bit before we hit record that it's not a lot to talk about. I mean, I just did a show uh, with my buddy Mike Kist over for Bleeding Green Nation, and we talked about Deadwood for like 20 minutes. I mean, (laughs) there's just not a lot to talk about. So anytime you get a chance to talk about something, you milk it for all it's worth. True. So have you watched Good Omens yet? I have not watched Good Omens. I'm kind of excited to watch that, partly because I just got done watching the two seasons of Nightfall, which was a History Channel show about the Knights Templar. That's like, I'm a sucker for that stuff. Like, Holy Grail, Knights Templar, I love it. It wasn't the best show ever. Like, the first season got 
off to a bit of a rough start, but they sort of found their on their stride like midway through the first season second season was great mark hamill came on as like an old knights templar who's like now teaching young knights how to be a knights templar i thought it was great i don't know if it's coming back for a third season but i had to watch that sort of through amazon for the second season and there were so many ads for good omen i do want to see that although it is weird and i'm rambling now about good omen here but go for it in the commercials you think that's simon Pegg, but it's not Michael Sheen, it like blew my mind when I figured that out. Yeah, and I gotta say, David Tennant is awesome because really? he's David Tennant. Yeah, and it it actually sticks really close to the book. As really, far as I'm concerned they did a great job. Wow, I, I gotta check that out then because I, you know, I did enjoy the book, so I should I gotta I gotta give that a watch. So I mean, between Nightfall, between Chernobyl, between me getting into Letter Kenny, which is like my new favorite thing, it's been a fun little summer of TV watching. Definitely. Well, and other than tape from last year, what else is there to watch? I mean, not much. That's emblematic of the fact that it is June now in the NFL world, and we're struggling to create content. We're let's just face it, we're struggling to create content. Over at Locked On Patriots, I'm doing a recap show week by week, and I'm literally just dropping in like 15 minutes of clips from games. <laughs> I mean, like here, here's what happened during this game. Enjoy, but because there's nothing to talk about. Yeah, there is very little. Luckily, some of the content you are putting out is pretty useful, and I think that is what this defensive piece was. You know, you wrote it kind of at the end of May. It came out, and I think a, a lot of people really enjoyed it, and I think it was just a really good look about what it's something that the NFL can learn from college, something that can be brought to the NFL level to start to combat the the passing explosion that has happened in the NFL as of late and is probably going to continue to go. So Mark, if you could just maybe give us a brief overview of what this piece was, and then I think we can go into, into some detail after that. Yeah, sure thing, Dan. And this piece was something that I actually started writing in my head, like in week five of the NFL season, because if you think back to that period of time. The Patriots had a short week. They played Indianapolis on a Thursday night, and it was the week before they hosted the Kansas City Chiefs, who week f- week, you know, four, five, six of the NFL season, they were just tearing it up. They were putting, you know, 40, 50 points on people. Patrick Mahomes was putting up video game numbers. And in that Thursday night game, I noticed that the Patriots played a ton of three, two, six defense. And they were able to still stop the run at times because what they would do was they would take their safety, Patrick Chun, and sort of drop him down a lot of at linebacker at times. Sometimes they'd put him at middle linebacker and they'd take their other two outside linebackers, Kyle Van Noy and Dante Hightower, and put them basically as defensive ends. So they would have a 3-2-6 personnel package, but they would run basically like a 5-1. And so it looked on the field. And I was fascinated to see that. I was wondering if that was a an eye towards how Belichick thought he might have to defend Patrick Mahomes and company. And sure enough, the next week, they did a lot of it, as we'll get into and as the piece gets into it. So I'd be kicking around in my, my mind, like, you know, how are teams going to handle the new NFL offenses, all the spread stuff, teams looking to throw the ball? And then as we got into the offseason, got into May, I started watching tape on next year's quarterbacks because that's what I do. So I watched Nate Stanley, and one of the games I watched was Iowa against Iowa State, which first exposed me really in depth to Iowa State's defense by John Heacock, their defensive coordinator, and what he has done 
is basically taken a 3-3-5 defense and made it their base package, but he's tinkered with it a bit. So they run a lot of 3-3-5 using a tight alignment up front. So you've got basically a shade nose guard or zero technique over the center, and then you've got either four-eye techniques on either side or full-on five techniques. So you're either on you know, the inside shoulder or the outside shoulder of the guard or the inside shoulder of the tackle, the defensive line spots, or head up on the tackle. So you've just got three down linemen, usually just one linebacker in the box, and then you take those outside linebackers and you line them up to the outside. And then in the secondary, you've got three safeties, like the Patriots sometimes do. And that safety in the middle of the field is basically like an Tampa two alignment, sometimes deeper between the safeties. And so you don't know if he's going to drop deep. You don't know if he's going to come up. And when I first saw it, it was hard to sort of figure out what they were doing in the secondary because now you've got three safeties all the time. And so I worked my way through watching that and then read more about what Iowa State was doing. I read some great stuff by Cody Alexander, who is at the underscore coach underscore A on Twitter, has written a ton of stuff, written some books about match quarters and different defenses that he uses and it really got me thinking about sort of the future of defense. And one of the things that stood out to me watching this Iowa State defense, and it's something the coach Alexander went into on his website, The Art of X, is that Iowa State can still stop the run with just four guys in the box because it's not so much the numbers, but it's how you get those players on the field, not just the guys in the box, into run fits. And the argument that he makes and that Hecox shows you on film is that even with just – basically four guys in the box, you can get gaps covered, bounce things to the outside, and then initially have the advantage on the numbers. And if, if you think about spread offenses, a lot of times you've just got the five down linemen, and then you've got four wide receivers, say double slots or whatever. So you've got the five down linemen, which gives you four gaps, right? You've got the two A gaps and the two B gaps, and everything else is to the outside. With four guys in the box, three down linemen and a linebacker, you can cover those gaps. Nose guard takes one A gap, linebacker takes the other. The two defensive tackles, they pinch inside to the B gaps. Now you've got all the gaps covered up front, and everything else gets bounced to the outside where now you have the numbers advantage. You've got the two linebackers, obviously, on the outside. You've got corners, and then you've got three safeties. And so you can cover the interior gaps, force things to the outside, and stop the run. Now how does this translate, say, statistically? Iowa State plays teams like West Virginia, Oklahoma, teams that run the spread, Texas Tech. And they hold them to below their season average in terms of rushing yards and points. And it works for the Big 12. And so you see that. You see what Bill Belichick has done. And then you see, like, for example, I mentioned that Kansas City, New England regular season game in week six. It stunned me to revisit that game and see, for example, the Chiefs had a third and one. And the Patriots came out with a 3-2-6 package. They pitched it to Tyree Kill out of the backfield. They forced it to the outside, and they stopped him for no game. The Chiefs had a second and goal from the four with 11 personnel on the field with Kareem Hunt in the backfield. They came out in a 3-2-6 and basically dared them to run the ball. They ran the ball inside. They had all the gaps covered up. It was just a three-yard gain on second and goal from the four to th- and I remember at the time watching that, why are they in basically a dime package on the goal line in a running situation? Because they were daring them to run the ball. And the final piece is what I want to end with is where I start in the piece itself is numbers. And we all see on the timeline, Twitter and elsewhere, the sort of debate, do running backs matter, which is an oversimplification of it. But sort of the analytics of the moment 
have shown that the passing game is very valuable and more valuable than the run game. If you look at expected points added and you can quibble with how much more valuable it is, but the passing game is probably on a per play basis, at least two times or perhaps even three times as valuable as the run game. And so if you're an NFL coach in today's NFL, if you want to stop today's offenses, you have to worry about stopping the pass. And so you probably do that with light packages like these three, two, six things we've talked about from New England. But if you look at Iowa State and how they use it, you can still stop the run. And so you can satisfy the dual goals of a defense in today's NFL. We all see it when a coach is hired, a defensive guy, a new D coordinator, they say we're going to be physical and we're going to stop the run. Well, if you look at what Iowa State has done, you can still stop the run, but have an advantage when the team goes to pass. And so as a as a defensive coach and defensive coordinator, given the numbers, you want to force them to run the ball. I think if a defensive coordinator designs a defense, designs a scheme that forces the offense to run the ball, they've done their job because the running game is just not as valuable in today's NFL as the pass game. So that's kind of an overview of the entire piece. Yeah, and that's really interesting because I think you would, especially when you have these college offenses that are probably going to the line, just counting the box and determining whether they're going to run or pass on that. When you can still stop the run there by having only by only showing like four men in the box, that certainly gives you the advantage. Then you have all those defensive backs that still allow you to to stop the pass, which you know, could, when we look to possibly what the Giants can do, that could be an option for them because they want to run a 3-4 base, but we all know base is is not really base. But the way they've kind of set up their defensive line, you can have that zero technique, which is probably going to be Dexter Lawrence. If you have yeah. B.J. Hill and Dalvin Tomlinson on the outside, or you take Tomlinson out for someone who's a little smaller, can rush the pass, or maybe a little more, say, someone like a, a Kareem Martin or so, you can put him on the line, can have Alec Ogletree, which, you know, not the greatest middle linebacker, but he's the middle linebacker they have. And then you can start playing around with those defensive backs, which is what something we've talked about in previous episodes. You have Jarrell Peppers who can play that linebacker safety mold. You have Julian Love, who they probably want to use as a hybrid safety. You can use all of these different guys and you have that advantage in the past and you can have that advantage in the run and that's something I think the Giants should really look for this season yeah I think that's a, a great point Dan and what's interesting is when you look at two factors for college teams obviously yeah you're limited by scholarships but you can dress you know 75 players or so and so you can you have more options but when you get to the NFL level you're obviously impacted by things like a salary cap and so you can make the argument, and this is something that was advanced by at all 22 bets on Twitter, who's a bit of a wild card, but a, a fun football mind to follow. And when my piece came out, you know, he sort of responded, you know, that market dictates scheme. And if you look at how the Patriots handle roster construction, right? Okay. What was one of the decisions they faced in this past offseason? It was whether to re-sign Trey Flowers. And rather than match Detroit's five-year, $90 million offer, they let him walk. One of the more expensive positions right now is pass rush. And so you can use this sort of defense, 3-3-5, 3-2-6, however you want to term it, however you want to play it, and avoid overpaying pass rushers, 
and have coverage in the secondary, which gets us into the coverage versus pass rush debate. We could have that another time. But some of the hesitation by people about playing a defense like this all the time is that, look, you can't get pressure with just three guys up front unless you overpay for some of these people. But there is a counter to that is you can use scheme. And if you look at the piece, if you look at how the Patriots are able to scheme pressure just using this, there's a clip from that week five game against Indy on their opening drive. It's a second and seven play. Andrew Luck is in the shotgun. The Patriots have the 3-2-6, and they bring both linebackers, Hightower and Van Noy, down. Sugar in the eight gaps. They're lined up in over one shoulder or the other of the center. And so they're showing a five-man pressure front. But then those guys drop, but they still bring five. It's just Patrick Chun out from one slot and Jonathan Jones from the other. And the offensive line doesn't know where anybody's coming from. They're confused. Trey Flowers beats the left tackle, who's – panicking over who to block and they get a sack later in the season against pittsburgh they show the same look but this time they do bring the guys on the interior the two linebackers they don't get home but they force a quick throw from roethlisberger it's off target and intercepted and so if the market dictates that you have to overpay pass rushers belichick says i won't i'm gonna let trey flowers walk I'm going to draft Chase Winovich in the third. We'll sign Michael Bennett. We'll address it via scheme. And so in the salary cap era, if you want to avoid overpaying for a position, you can still get pressure and production and stuff. You just have to scheme it up and get the right people to do that. And you look at the guys that they've added. Chase Winovich off one end, Michael Bennett off the other. That seems to be the way they're going. And after an offseason where New England – they drafted Duke Dawson in the second round last year. They get J.C. Jackson in the, as an undrafted free agent who became a starting corner for them. You'd think, okay, well, they're not going to address defensive back in this draft. They have seem to have it locked up. What do they do? They draft Juwan Williams in the second round, a player they were willing to draft at 32 overall. And the only reason they did was Nikhil Harry was there. They're still loaded up in the secondary. Why? Because they're going to play these sub-packages because that's the way the market has dictated how they're going to handle the defensive side of the ball. And for the Giants, it's sort of the same thing. You draft a nose tackle, there's your zero technique guy. You've got some guys who can play the five or the four-eye technique. You can get pressure with some different scheme stuff. And then the last piece is finding that joker safety type player. And you can still, again, stop the run or at least dare the offense to run the ball. And you could stop the run up front doing it. But at the same time, if the offense is going to be willing to run the ball 17 times on a drive, fine. Make them work the ball down the field. Take away the passing game. Take away the big play. I think that's where the NFL defenses have to trend, given the way the game seems to tilt in the offense's favor in the passing game. Take away the pass. Force them to run. Dare them to run. Dare them to pull off 12, 13 play drives. Just from that perspective, it's – probably not a coincidence that it was Belichick who lifted it from lifted this idea from the big 12 where I don't know I was told they don't play defense right and that's the most amazing thing about today's sort of football world and how people view the big 12 because what are offenses doing right now in the NFL they're running a lot of spread they're running a lot of RPO and part of that is the economics of it look if you're going to draft Kyler Murray first overall you're not the three-year sort of sit and learn period is out the window. You're gonna you're gonna miss out on that rookie quarterback window, right? You know, if you're gonna maximize having that rookie quarterback on his rookie deal, you want to get him on the field. So, what's the easiest way to do that? Run the stuff he's been running. So you're gonna run a lot of spread. You're gonna run a ton of RPO type stuff. 
And that's what's coming from the Big 12 and other conferences. And so why wouldn't you then go to the Big 12, see what these teams are doing, and pick ideas from them on how to stop these offenses? It just seems counterintuitive to me that we're going to just brush off the Big 12 as, oh, they don't play defense, so you know why are we going to look to it? Why wouldn't you? And if you see, for example, the Chargers, they drafted Kazir White, uh, safety from West Virginia in last year's draft, and they basically moved him to linebacker. They're going to let him be one of these hybrid-type players. That's the trend with what teams are doing in the Big 12 level to stop these offenses. And if these offenses are working their way into the National Football League, it just makes sense to me to look at what they're doing in the Big 12 to stop these offenses. And of course it would be Belichick to, to look to this because, let's face it, for all the silly things he says, my snap face and you know tweeting and making fun of analytics and numbers and social media, the Patriots are one of the most analytics-heavy teams that are out there. They've been doing this stuff for years, looking at you know numbers and roster construction. They always seek to like capitalize on market inefficiencies. Look at how they handle the compensatory pick market. Look at how they always seem to be loaded up in the secondary free agency market rather than you know rushing out on the first day of free agency and overpaying for a guy like Trey Flowers. They'll wait and sign Michael Bennett a couple of days later on that sort of secondary veteran free agency market. That's They exploit market inefficiencies, and this is just the next one. If teams are going to you know throw the ball, we're going to stop the passing game and dare teams to run. I mean, that's kind of how they handled Super Bowl 52, even though they lost. They were daring Nick Foles to run the ball. They were daring him to hand off on RPOs. They were dropping aid into coverage and saying, look, run it on us. Because they would rather make a team go 12, 13 plays down the field than hit him for a quick strike and suddenly your offense is back on the field. And that's just something Belichick has been doing since forever. That's basically the game plan he had in Super Bowl 25 against the Bills. Yeah, yeah exactly. Take away the K-Gun passing game and beat us with the run. I mean, it, that's just it. People say that, you know... You've always needed to stop the run. This was a Giants defense that prided themselves on stopping the run because that's what they were going to do. And when Belichick walked into that locker room, that defensive meeting, and said, look, we're going to let Thurman Thomas get 100 yards rushing. That defense, Harry Carson and company, they lost their minds. They were like, no, this is our identity. We stopped the run. And Belichick said, if we let them throw the ball all over us, we're going to lose. The only way we can win is if they have to grind it out and we slow down their passing game and take away – Jim Kelly, what he does. And it worked. There's a reason that game plan is in the Hall of Fame. And last night I was reading some Bill Walsh stuff from 1985. And Bill Walsh is talking about how, you know, in that whole run versus pass debate, you got to throw the ball. Don't isolate it to just first down. And he says, if you are going to throw the ball, you must be willing to throw on first down and not just a token pass, hoping for the best, but a pass that is designed to get you a certain amount of yardage. And he closes this little thing by saying, if you were to add up the number of pass interceptions we threw this last season, our quarterback threw two interceptions in his last 240 passes. So you know his percentages were good. You look at that and compare that, those interceptions, with the fumbles of a team that runs 90% of the time, and you will see the team fumbling that runs the ball more more than the interceptions were thrown in the passing game. That was 1985. And so this idea that you still have to establish the run in the year of our Lord, 2019, it's antiquated. It's behind the times. Like, so if you're a defense, run on us, please. Run it 53 times. I would love to see you run it 53 times because that means you're not throwing it 53 times. 
yeah, that Bill Walsh guy, he might, he might be onto something. He might have known something about playing the game of football or coaching the game of football. I mean, I've said before, look, Bill Walsh, when he passed away, knew more in his like left pinky nail than I will ever know about the game of football. And this is the stuff he was saying back in 1985. It, when, this game doesn't have to be hard. I mean, one of my favorite days of the year, guys, is the day that the Nike Coaching Clinic manual comes out. And it's fantastic this year. You've got Ed Ogeron on the cover. And I just wish I, I got to find the audio of his presentation because just reading it in the written form is funny. But there's a fantastic presentation from Justin Fuente, the head coach of Virginia Tech, about RPOs and the use of 11 personnel. And he says in his presentation, it is a one or two high run pass option. If the defense is a too high scheme, we want to run the ball. If there is one high safety, we want to throw the ball. With two high safeties, there are five defenders in the box. With one high safety, there are six defenders in the box. Guys, this game isn't hard. If you're a quarterback and you can count to six, your offense can be successful. Just count the number of people and then do what you're supposed to do as a result. Like The game should be easy, and we're just overthinking it at times and making it hard. Yeah, yeah. I, I think a lot of times people kind of confuse being tough and physical with hard-headed and stubborn right and you know a lot of it is and look i'm a man i'm 42 all right i'm seven months older almost to the day that's tom brady and how he looks the way he does at 42 and i look the way i do at 42 it pains me every single day but i grew up playing in the era of three yards and a cloud of dust yes we wore face masks okay i can i can hear people laughing we didn't have leather helmets when i was playing we had face masks and everything but that was how you played it you you ran the ball you ran the ball, you kept ahead of the chains, and you got into third and manageable. That's not the game anymore. But a lot of people grew up playing that sort of physicality matters, establish the run, impose your will. And I think the game is trending away from that. And we have the numbers and the evidence to back it up. Yes, we we all know about you know the body blows of running the football, but people have dove into this over the past couple of weeks and they can't find any sort of analytic evidence or even, you know, isolated instances of a team imposing their will in the first quarter, definitively going on to be able to win in the fourth quarter. Like there's some, you know, sure there's anecdotal evidence of it and there's the ability to, you know, say, Oh, we wore them down, but you can do that throwing the ball as well. I mean, if you're an up-tempo passing game spread offense, you're wearing down the defense. Just the same way as you are when you run the football. If you're using tempo, like say Ohio, Utah State, for example, I've just been watching Jordan Love, and they play at such a frenetic pace that you're watching these games, even with the coaches' tape, they they don't get the camera back in time by the time by the time the ball is snapped. If you're playing at that kind of tempo and throwing the ball all the time. You're wearing the defensive line down just the same as you are as you're rut blocking on them on every single play. And so you could still be physical, impose your will on a defensive front by throwing the ball. It's just a different way of wearing them down. And so I think as more and more coaches work their way into the NFL ranks coming for these types of systems, we're going to see more and more NFL offenses just willing to throw the ball and defenses having to adjust partly by moving to these sub packages like we've talked about. Yeah, and I think one interesting thing there is 
in the way to defend it, I think we saw what we kind of thought could be a peek into the future with the Los Angeles Chargers in the playoffs. They came out with their seven defensive back look against the Baltimore Ravens to kind of combat the speed they had, especially with Lamar Jackson and their running game. And then they tried to do that again the next week against the Patriots, who don't have as much speed. And the Patriots just kind of, they went a little heavier and did run the ball down their throats a little bit more and then everyone just said, oh, see, this doesn't work. You still have to run the ball. But it's kind of funny that the Patriots were on the one side of kind of showing how maybe there are some flaws to the defensive back heavy look, but also they're probably going to be on the side showing how that can work by knowing how to get the proper run fits with those defensive backs on the field to make sure you still can stop the run from those looks. Yeah, and, you know, that was one of the earlier... first sort of pieces of criticism about whatever it was like well look you're a patriots guy look what they did the chargers and you know the thing to remember is part of the reason the Chargers moved to that seven defensive back package is they were thin at linebacker you know they were so thin at linebacker they were so banned up that they just realized that we got the best players we have available to us are all defensive backs and there was a combination of how to defend lamar jackson and company in the division around and the injuries that they had suffered at the patriots of course had become a 21 personnel team down the stretch. You know, San Francisco used 21 personnel most in the league last year. Kyle Shanahan loves using that to throw out of it because you get base defenses to throw against. The Patriots were second in the league using 21 personnel last year. And that sort of does change the calculus because it's one thing when you're facing just a five-man surface as a defense with just the five interior linemen, everybody else is spread out. It changes it when you've got a fullback and a tight end in the equation. Now that four-man box, even if you bring the other two linebackers in, that's going to be light you know, to run against. And so if you don't have the linebackers available to you to go heavy, you're going to be in trouble. And so the Patriots were able to sort of take advantage of that situation that the Chargers were facing. But I think it's important to remember that when I charted out the Patriots' defense last year, 1,043 defensive snaps. And they ran sort of a sub package with three down linemen in sort of this tight 505 or 4IO, 4I front, just about 15% of the time. It's not like they're going to be using it. I'd be stunned to see an NFL team use it as Iowa State does, as their pure base defense. But it wouldn't surprise me to see New England and some other teams run it, say, 35, 40, maybe 45% of the time next year. Because I do think that if we're going to see more of these spread-type offenses, this is going to be the kind of defense you will use to stop it. And, of course, personnel does matter. You know, Part of the reason the Patriots are able to use this 3-2-6 or 3-3-5 defense is they have Patrick Chung. You know, they trust him to be a deep safety at times. They trust him to come down in the box and play as a linebacker, even a middle linebacker at times. I mean, I remember – losing my mind when it happened live to see him lined up at middle linebacker against the Colts. But the more and more you study it, the more it makes sense. So teams are going to have to find the personnel to run it. You know, and other people have pointed out, well, it works for Iowa state because they don't have the talent that say a Texas does or an Oklahoma does. And so they have to do something scheme wise. Well, is that really a negative? Like if the scheme works with bad players, imagine how it'll be with great players. And so that's just another way to look at it. I think one other thing that Bill Belichick does, and it's kind of built off this, it's not uh, totally related, but I think the way he 
Rush's only three is kind of crazy when you compare it to the rest of the league. I wrote something back in 2017 and I forgot about it and then remember when I read your piece uh, is every year when I was reading the Football Outsiders Almanac, they have kind of the strategic tendencies for each team. And every year I read it, it just comes up that the Patriots rush three at a really high rate and like more than anyone else in the league. And when I wrote this in 2016, they rushed three 23.9% of the time. In 2015, it was 22% of the time. And that was more than they rushed five or more. But what he does and when he uses personnel packages like this, if he'll have three down defensive linemen or even two down defensive linemen throw a whole bunch of guys at the line of scrimmage, so you don't know which three are going to rush. And that's a bit of a disguise there. And then that still helps you drop back and having the like eight men in coverage and having a mismatch on the defensive line because there's some snaps that I showed where there's like three offensive linemen on one defensive lineman, two offensive linemen on another, and then the free offensive lineman is against like a running back, and he's the guy who gets the sack. So they actually figure out their numbers advantage by somehow only rushing three. And I think that's another step you can add to this type of defense. And I think that's something when we look to the Giants, you know, James Betcher is someone who is going to like to bring the blitz quite often. And that's what he did in Arizona and not so much last year. But I think with some of the personnel and some of the mixtures and some of the pre-snap looks he can give, you can have that type of advantage with only rushing three and then having all those defenders dropping back. And that's another way to defend the pass in the modern era. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, one of the interesting things that the Patriots did last year was they realized that in today's NFL, obviously, teams are going to put their best pure pass blocker at one of the tackle spots, right? Or you'll tend to see your best pure pass blocker at one of those tackle spots because that's just the way the flow of the game is right now. Well, rather than beating your head against the wall, identify who the weakest pass blocker is on the defensive, on the offensive line and attack that player with your best pure pass rusher. And so when you got to say week 13, when the Patriots played the Vikings, they would use this sort of radar front where you just have, you know, some teams like, for example, the Titans did it against the Patriots before the bye back in week 10. You don't know where everybody's coming from. Nobody's in a three-point stance. Everybody's in a two-point stance. You don't know where people are coming from. It's hard to get the protections called, and then you get confusion up front, which leads to pressure because guys are unblocked. Well, the Patriots ran their version of that. Everybody was upright walking around, so the offensive line doesn't know who's coming from where. But the only player in a three-point stance was Trey Flowers. And against the Vikings, he was head up on the center because that was their worst pass blocker. And he got a number of pressures and a sack of Kirk Cousins coming from that look. Against the Chargers, he was head up on the guard, Michael Schofield, their worst pass blocker. And he got some pressures of Phillip Rivers that way. And so as a defensive coordinator now, rather than just say, look, you're our best pass rusher, go beat the left tackle. No, find the weak link, attack that spot, and then scheme around that. Again, this game doesn't have to be hard. We see so often coaches that are set in their ways like, this is how I've done it. This is how it's always worked for me. So this is what we're going to do, by golly. And it doesn't work. You know, find ways that other teams are attacking the pocket, steal from them. This is a copycat league. Be a copycat. It might save your job. It doesn't make you look weak. It might make you look pretty good. And that's something I noticed the Giants did last year. I wrote a piece on 
uh, one of Betcher's blitz looks, and I believe it was out of a dime package, and they only had one down lineman. It was Lorenzo Carter, who was at the nose, yeah. just head up on the Eagles' center. Yeah. And, and they just overloaded the left side of the offense. It wound up being a screen pass that went for five yards on a third and ten, which yeah. is a pretty that's a pretty good result. Not a sack, but still, you're off the field. It, yeah, it's it's a successful play for the defense. Anytime you can get off the field on third down, it's a win. And again, this could be a mismatch game. We we see that on the offensive side of the ball between you know personnel and numbers. You look at what Sean McVay is doing. You look at what Kyle Shanahan is doing, Josh McDaniels, any offensive-minded head coach or offensive coordinator. They want to use personnel to dictate what the defense does, then get the matchup they want and exploit it. You can do that as a defense. You don't have to be passive. You don't just have to line up in the same spot every time and hope to stop them. Find your best playmakers, find their weakest links, and attack them that way. It may not work all the time, but in today's NFL, with the way the rules are sort of slanted towards the offense anyway – if you could get off the field a couple of times and get a couple of stops and maybe force a turnover, that's probably all you're going to need to win in today's NFL. Right. And that's something I, as someone who has continued to dive into the numbers there of, of how much the offensive personnel does dictate what the defense does and, and how the defense presents himself gives a pretty easy option for the offense to figure out what to do. And if you can create a look or a personnel package that either doesn't have to change uh, depending on what the offense is running or the offense is now at a disadvantage no matter what they try to do, That that's going to be the future of defense and how defense I think, takes that step forward to, to get that either leg up or at least be on even ground going forward because for the past couple of years, that has not been the case. The offense has just been able to figure out what these defenses are going to do. And for the smart defensive minds, and I do think James Betcher is one of them as we continue to talk about the Giants, uh, I do think he's one of those defensive minds that can grasp how to move the game forward although last year he definitely didn't have the personnel to do that we'll see what the case is this year Uh, but it just having some type of personnel package and philosophy like that to move the defense forward and give them more of an even leverage there that's that's going to be how the game improves yeah and you know that's kind of the fascinating thing to think about when you talk about whether it's just three two six for New England or three three five at times or Iowa State's three three five, is that if you're facing an offense that's going to use tempo, because that's one of the reasons the teams use tempo. It's to try to get, you know, like we saw in the Super Bowl fifty three, the Patriots had a personnel package on the field and that one touchdown drive that the defense that was across the line from them, they felt they could exploit in the passing game. So they went up tempo because they wanted to keep that defense on the field. Well, the flexibility provided you have the, the personnel to do it with this three three five look, for example, is if that joker safety type is good enough, you can bring him down into the box and then you go from a sub package three three five to a base three four without substituting. And it was the same thing with the Patriots with a three two six. If they felt like they weren't getting enough bodies or the offense was going to start running the ball on them, A, that's what you want anyway. But B, you bring Patrick Chun down into the box and now you've got a six man box against maybe a six man surface if you've got a tight end in there. And so you could still adjust on the fly and have the flexibility to do so, whether you're three three five or three two six, provided you have the talent to do it. And that's going to be the key for these defenses now is that if the offenses are so 
geared towards getting that defense on the field that they want to work against, well, now you've got the flexibility where you can adjust on the fly, where if they want to go up tempo, you still have an answer for them. And now the offense has to rethink what they're doing. And like you said, talking about how that could be the future of defense, from just from a personnel perspective, that's something I've kind of been waiting to see happen in the NFL. It's just that blurring of lines between you know, defensive line and linebacker and then linebacker and safety and just teams starting to use that to give them that flexibility to respond to all of these new things and new things the offenses are doing and just the increased speed and how much field offenses are forcing defenses to defend. Yeah, I mean, because when you look at some of the successful offenses today, I mean, part of the reason people are wondering whether the Rams will move on from Jared Goff rather than, you know, paying him an extension, maybe that they'll be the first team to do that, is you look at the ability of Sean McVay to use space to attack a defense. Well, one of the ways to counteract an offense that wants to attack space is to get athletes that can cover ground quickly, which leads you to these you know, three safety looks, these six, seven defensive back packages. And I do think we will see see more of the sort of hybrid defender and or positionless defender type defenses where you've got guys that are just athletes and they can line up a corner on one place, safety on another in the slot at linebacker. And they just have the ability to cover space and to make up ground. And so if teams are going to continue to strive to get the balls to their playmakers in space to create yardage after the catch, the defenses are going to have to keep pace with that. And this is one way to do it. Yeah. And that's one reason I've said Jabril Peppers is probably, probably the most important player on this defense. If he can be that guy who really is the key to the giants being a a positionless defense. I mean, I've been uh, critical and doubtful of whether he is the player who can do that. The Giants seem to believe he can, but if he can, I think he's the key to kind of moving everything else around. And if you have that safety or that defensive back who can play up in the box and be that linebacker and move move all around, and that's that's the position you want to be able to have. That's kind of the key to it. I was talking in our, our last podcast episode about NFL Game Pass uh, accidentally released a whole bunch of the film sessions uh, with a couple of different players, and I was watching Desmond King, who's a cornerback for the Chargers, and he was talking about just how that was used in their defense last year. He played mostly nickel, but he was moved around a lot, and just the way they had all those defensive backs, and that's where I think think we'll see if the Giants have, you know, the quality of the personnel to do it, but it does seem like they have the corners and possibly the depth at defensive back to run a defense like this. And if I think they're going to be a good defense, this is the type of strategy they have to deploy. Yeah, I I think so. And it's important to remember with Peppers, how he was used by Michigan. I mean, his best position or the one that he probably projected to best was that's like a slot safety at times and that's how Michigan used him. So I think you will see him used more down in the box. I think the Browns probably misused him, playing him 25, 30, 35 yards off the line of scrimmage. If you take one of your best athletes and move him away from the football, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And so you look at the acquisitions they made, obviously DeAndre Baker in the first round, drafting another corner in the fourth round, drafting another corner in the sixth round. Yeah, fourth and sixth round picks are huge investments, but it tells you that they're also looking to upgrade and load up on in the secondary as well. And so I'm fascinated to see if more teams move towards this. I think some of the acquisitions let 
the Giants have made. Dexter Lawrence, obviously, in the first round as well. Makes me think that, yeah, the Giants would be a team to perhaps move in this direction. Again, not as a pure base defense, but as something you might see on 25% of their defensive snaps. Because I think the league will trend that way this season. Yeah, that seems to be the case. It is absolutely something to watch out for. So if you have not read this piece, go do so. It's on Pat's Pulpit, which is the New England Patriots blog for SB Nation. So one of our sister sites over at Pat's Pulpit, you can... Pretty much just Google Mark Schofield and Pat's Pulpit. I think it's one of the first things that's going to come up for that. So definitely read that. Read the rest of Mark's work, which is everywhere. So uh, Mark, uh, tell everyone where they can find your work. Oh, guys, as always, thanks for having me. Always a blast. Um, best way to keep up with me is on Twitter at Mark Schofield, but I write for a bunch of places inside the pylon, Pro Football Weekly, uh, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, and I do work for three of the SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, of course, uh, Pat's Pulpit, as you mentioned, and I do co-host the QB Sco Show over at Bleeding Green Nation with Michael Kiss. We have a lot of fun over there. Um, talk a lot of quarterbacks, a lot of TV, just whatever comes to mind, historical references. Um, but yeah, the easiest way to find me is just on Twitter at Mark Schofield. All right. So you can find our work at BigBlueView.com. You can find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, please rate and review if you have not. Those have been helping us out greatly. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. You can find Chris on Twitter at RaptorMKII. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.